Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm joined by Dacia Daly, a wild crafter and herbalist. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Dacia Daly is a wild crafter, herbalist, and soap maker. She spends the majority of the year in the Tobacco Valley located in Northwest Montana. Her summer months are spent in an off-grid cabin on a remote island in Southeast Alaska. Dacia is passionate about wild food foraging and shares freely in the blog section of her website. She is the woman behind Simply Josephine, a small business offering wild-crafted skincare products, handmade soap, and herbal extracts. Hello and welcome, Dacia. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Yes. Thank you for joining me. Well, let's dive right in. So I always like to start with, um, how did you start? What? How did you begin your plant path and where has it taken you along the way? Yes, yes, for sure. Um, well, it's going to sound really cliche, but I have always been into the plants from as far back as I can really remember. I had the privilege of growing up in a very wild place. Um, I grew up on Wrangell Island in southeast Alaska, and our house was in the woods and on the beach. So I just sort of had free range, child of the 80s. You could just run wild for hours and hours, and that was your entertainment. And that kind of started. I remember playing a lot. There was a nice little creek uh, running by the house, and it was just full of wild violets. I remember it was very fairy-like. I would play with them. And then the beach was there too. So I played a lot with the seaweed and um, that type of, that type of thing. And as I got older, 
My mom worked at the library too when I was a kid. So I would spend a lot of time at the library and I was always really drawn to the herbal books from a young age, even like 12, 13, coming of age, I really started to look at the herbal books, which there wasn't a whole lot then as there is compared to now. So that kind of got me interested uh, looking at the books. And then in high school, I took a weekend workshop taught by Janice Schofield. She wrote a wild plants book, kind of like the biggest herbal book on Alaska plants. She lived in Homer. And so she went on this little circuit through Southeast Alaska teaching workshops. And I was probably about 15 or 16. And I took that and I was really, that's where I made my first salve. So that was kind of like my introductory to salve making. I really enjoyed that. It was a whole weekend. I don't remember us making tinctures in there. That came a little later um, down the path. But I remember that we picked nettles and made a wild green salad dressing. And I was just totally, totally hooked on the herbs. And then also right out of high school, I was going to take an apprenticeship program, but there wasn't enough people to that signed up for it. So it actually never happened. And then from there, let's see, I, um, I moved to Montana fairly young, right out of high school. I went on a road trip through the Tobacco Valley and it really, I just totally fell in love with it and came here. So moving to Montana right out of high school, I lived in a, a very rural, rural area. And my neighbor, she was a massage therapist. And I learned a lot from her. So I was 18. I was barely 18. And she was probably in her late 40s. So man, everything she did, I was just really into. And she just kind of just took me under her wing. And we, we went on walks and we wildcrafted. And she's the one who I learned how to make tinctures from, or at least the infancy of tincture making, the basic concept I learned from her. And then yeah, and then on from there, you know, having children, I really dove into the herbal remedies there just because they're so needed. And yeah, that's kind of how it all started. So it's just, it's always been a part of your life. That's awesome. The herbs. They have, <clears throat> they have. I've really just always been very drawn very drawn to the herbs and some of the first herbs like I worked with here in Montana were just kind of your basic weeds, yarrow, St. John's wort, wild mint, things like things like that. Did you, what kind of cued you into, wow, maybe I could make a living doing this or, or did it well, just kind of happen naturally? It kind a little bit of both. I also have always been a maker. 
again, back to growing up in Alaska. Growing up in Alaska, you learn how to capitalize on tourism from a very early age. It's a big, it's a big thing. And so cruise ships would come into Wrangell and people would set up their wares or lots of kids sold. There's a garnet ledge not far from where I grew up. So people would make or not make, but, you know, chip the rocks and sell these little garnets. And so what happened was obviously the parents were doing all the work there and the kids were selling these. So I thought, well, I want to sell garnets. So I come home to my parents. I'm like, yeah, I want to sell garnets. They were like, no way we aren't doing that. (laughs) So again, my mom worked at the library. So I, I looked at like a bead book, I think. And I taught myself how to bead a few basic things. And there was another woman in town that I was also very drawn to, uh, I would hang out with her sometimes and she beaded earrings. So if I had questions, she'd help me out with what I was doing wrong. And I just, I started selling earrings. So that was probably like 13 years old. I just borrowed a TV tray from grandma and set up a little display and I sold all the earrings. So. I was hooked. So from like that day forward, I've pretty much been a maker. And I've gone through phases with different things. I worked a lot with clay when I was in high school. And then I always thought I would have a career in clay, but you know how the the path forks there. Let's see. So I did beading and clay. And then let's see, in the late 90s, in about 2000, my family are all commercial fishermen. So uh, commercial fishing is a huge part of everybody's livelihood. So when my dad would get done fishing, I wouldn't talk to him for months. And then just out of the blue, sometimes a check would just arrive in the mail. And there'd just be a little note from him, a jingle for your pocket. That's what he would call it. And um, he sent me, I can't remember what it was like, 300 or $400. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to take this money and I'm going to buy everything to make soap and everything to make candles. And then I just ordered a book on how to make those things and the ingredients and the soap stuck and the candles did not. I tried really hard and it just never came through for me. (laughs) But the soap was Just from there, I just started, this is kind of pre-internet. So there's lots of troubleshooting and figuring things out and experimenting. And I feel like that's really helped me in my herbal path is really, truly experimenting, trying, like taking one plant and trying several different things with it and just finding what works into my life, what I can weave into what I'm already doing. And so the soap stuck around for a while. And back then I did a few other little body care products and I did some salve making. But again, I'm only about 20, 21 in there. So I hadn't 
developed a lot of skills. Like my wild crafting game was not very good. I would often like now I know exactly what I'm going to be where and so on and so forth. But so I did make salves then, but they weren't consistent, I guess. I did um, a comfrey salve and a cottonwood bud salve. And then um, I, my son was born in 2004. So then I took a break from everything, especially with soap making, because there's the lye aspect. So you don't really want caustic things and children running around. So I took a break from all of that in there and then came back after my, then my daughter was born in 2008 and then about 2010, 2011, I was really ready to get my creative, um, the creativity back into my life after I'd gone through, you know, the major part of the young child rearing and I was ready to focus on some things. And that's kind of when Simply Josephine was born. And Simply Josephine, I chose that name because Dacia is hard to say. Um, and it's hard to remember. And Josephine is just kind of simple. And then with how my life has been, my craft has always been moving. So I didn't want to be like Dacia's soap works or whatever, because who knows, I might stop making soap at some time or I, I don't foresee that, but I don't know, you know, so I just went simply Josephine. It's my daughter's name and it just seemed to kind of include everything. Mm, that's I was wondering if it was your daughter's name. I know for so long when I was following you on Instagram, I was like, just assumed your name was Josephine. <laughs> but I was like, oh, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> but that makes sense. Um, and I know you make beautiful aprons too, I've seen. So you have a nice full gamut of what you do. Yeah, I love, I'm super inspired by color. So that's why uh, the fabric really spoke to me. And back in 2010, 2011, 2013, I did a lot more sewing than I do now. Things, being a maker, you know, it's all supply and demand. So what do the people want? I just make things that I'm inspired to make and share them. And not everything sticks. A lot of things just move through and then some things, some really popular things stick around. And sewing has been waning for a while because the herbal aspect of the business is taking a lot more of my time. And mm. sewing is very, you have to have a lot of time to devote to the craft. Mm. It takes a while to kind of get in the mode to really produce things. And I am a one woman show and I want to stay a one woman show. I don't want to build an empire at all. I want to keep it really simple. Hence the name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, so it sounds like even as a as a young person, you are on this track. But looking back, do you have any words of wisdom that you would offer yourself or maybe other young herbalists or business women who are entrepreneurial women who are just getting started that would maybe help you? For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I guess my biggest advice is experimenting and really not being afraid to do things the right way or being afraid of doing things the wrong way. I feel like when we, like as far as herbs go, if you are in, now lots of, there's so many different types of herbalism. You can buy herbs and make things that way. Then you know exactly what you're getting. But that really isn't the path that I have taken. I have been into living in these very wild places. I have access to wild space and do a lot of wild crafting. So as far as wild crafting goes, I just always say, and I do teach a few classes, I really stress experimenting and one Know the poisonous plants in your bioregion, and that can take the fear off the table. Really get to know them. Do harvest them. Do dissect them. Dig them up. Look at what the roots look like. Spend your time with these poisonous plants that you're not going to work with so that you can recognize them in all of their growing stages. And then then it's just kind of open. Then you're, then you, it takes the fear out of a lot of things. And then you're really able to let go and, and experiment because that's kind of how it all, all works out. And there's so much resources now, you know, between online and books and herbal. I mean, there's so many good quality herbal resources mm-hmm. yeah so there's that and then same with the entrepreneur thing just don't be afraid to try new things just keep it keep doing what what makes you happy and and things will stick around more than likely mm. so as a avid wild crafter is there a plant right now or in like the late fall early winter that you really enjoy connecting with yes there are there are several i love uh the root the fall root digging all of all of the roots really uh dandelion burdock and yellow dock i do feel a close connection to yellow dock and also, it's just a prolific weed. It's everywhere. And it there's, there's so many different uses for it. From the seeds, I like to collect the seeds. And they can be ground up and used as flour. I've made crackers with them. And oftentimes, I do make our, our bread on a regular basis for the household. So sometimes I'll just grind up a grinder full and throw that in there. Um, I have like the, the paper husk. I do just the whole. 
I just grind up the whole thing. I have read different things about separating it, but that would be that would be too rough. I just dry the seeds. Well, they're already pretty much dry and uh, depending on your climate. So I'm in the Mountain West, so it's very dry. But I also spend time in Southeast Alaska, which is the rainforest, it's temperate rainforest. So high, high humidity all the time. So with those two climates, drying things is completely different. Mm. But in the Mountain West, where I am in the fall, um, yeah, stuff dries up really quickly. I just dry it on a screen, grind. I have a coffee grinder. You can Mm -hmm. get coffee grinders at thrift stores, clean them up really good. And then you can use those for you know, you can grind up oatmeal for oat flour and yellow dock seeds for yellow dock flour. And so I do that. And then I also like to dig the root and make different things with that. Of course, tinctures, because I do make tinctures for purchase and then myself and so I dig the roots for the tincture and I also love to make a yellow dock syrup and I also buy dried yellow dock from Mountain Rose or Frontier depending on where I'm ordering from for the syrup as well. It doesn't have to be a fresh root but if you have access to it and again Yellow Dock is so prolific in the Mountain West. I recently drove, a few months ago, drove from Seattle over to Eureka, where I live. I hadn't done that drive in years, but I could not believe. It was just basically solid Yellow Dock everywhere you looked, (laughs) all the way here. So I, I dig up the root and I make the syrup with fresh root, but you can easily make it with dried root as well. I like to throw in, you know, dandelions are everywhere. So I usually add dandelion as well to the syrup. Now you don't have to, you can use just the yellow dock. I like to use the syrup because it is bitter. It is very bitter herb and I feel like using molasses in the syrup really they go well together Mm. so I just cook down the fresh or dried roots yellow dock and dandelion I like to throw in some hawthorn berries or rose hips I forage a lot of hawthorn berries and a lot of rose hips And I also, in Alaska, do a lot of wild blueberry picking. I'm a total, I'm an insane berry picker. I love to berry pick. And I bring, I brought back 50 pounds of blueberries with me from this last summer. (laughs) And so I'll, I'll put those in there too. Whatever you have on hand, any sort of berry. And then I'll cook that down for a few hours, a good cook down, you know, not boiling over, but lightly simmering there. And then I pull the pot from the heat and I add dried or fresh herbs. Again, if you're making this in the spring and you're collecting all these herbs and there's, 
you know, fresh self-heal growing or fresh lemon balm or something, you can do that. But this time of year, it's all dried herbs in my bioregion anyway. So then I pull it from the heat. I add molasses and dried herbs of choice. Like I usually like to use a tannic astringent herb and but again doesn't have to be I like to use like dried goldenrod or red raspberry leaf hawthorn leaf and flower anything like that some sort of tannic astringent herb and then another calming herb some sort of chill factor herb like dried lemon balm or wild chamomile. I harvested a lot of wild chamomile and I love working with wild chamomile too. I feel like it's really, you know how we have those herbs that really connect to us. Wild chamomile is one of those for me. So I will put that, that in there. Is the wild can, is the, excuse me, is the wild chamomile, is that the pineapple weed or is that a different one? It is pineapple weed. Okay. Yes. And in fact, I call it wild chamomile because in my business, I sell wild chamomile products, but I used to, you know, advertise them as pineapple weed because that's what I've been calling it my whole life. But then everybody thinks it's cannabis. So I had to switch to the, uh, using like pineapple express. They get it confused. Yeah, (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. And then weeds in there. So That's so funny. Everyone's like, oh, this is pot oil. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> it's it's a chill factor for sure, but but it's not, not cannabis. That chill. <laughs> so yes, wild chamomile as in pineapple weed. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. And then so the syrup, I just let that sit overnight usually and strain it and bottle it. And I do store in the fridge. And you can add tincture to this too. So uh, sometimes I will add uh, just like a couple ounces, one or two ounces of something similar to this that I myself might personally want more of, which would be something like hawthorn, rosehip, something kind of along that line, goldenrod. Goldenrod, I find, is super helpful um, with allergies. So like a drippy nose and so kind of what it, whatever's going on. And I have a lot of, too. As a herbal extract maker, I will often have, you know, a little bit of extra mm-hmm. leftover tincture-wise. So you can add mm-hmm. that. Definitely don't have to. Adding a little bit of alcohol to your syrups can increase their shelf life, too, because syrups are quite perishable. They don't last very long. Mm -hmm. And then the yellow dock syrup can be used in any syrup fashion. I love to make um, a lot of herbal drink concoctions. So I love this yellow dock syrup. You know, you would use as much in the glass um kind of like a quarter of the cup size that you're going to make of the syrup 
and then top with sparkling water and fresh lime or fresh lemon goes really good with that. It makes a beautiful, beautiful beverage. And it's really thick and frothy, like a dark, dark beer. Hmm. And it's, it's satisfying like that too, but without the alcohol. So nice. I yeah, love that. That. Sounds, that sounds like a wonderful, like fall tonic, mineral rich, digestive support liver support, immune support. Yes, all of that. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I'm very drawn towards drinking this in the fall going into winter. Mm -hmm. It's also nice in the spring too. Well, I'm inspired. I have a yellow dock root in my fridge that I've been like meaning to make syrup with, but haven't. And I have some rose hips and hawthorn berries in my freezer that I've been meaning to do something with that are just sitting there. So yeah, I think even just those three, I got to get some molasses because molasses is very high in iron as well, right? And yellow dock is especially beneficial for people who are dealing with anemia or low iron in the blood. Yes, yes, it helps it helps your yellow dock aids in iron absorption mm-hmm. and just all of the whole digestive system in general. It seems very nourishing for being very helpful with assimilation, assimilation and elimination. Mm. It just sort of just seems to aid in that. It, um, but it's not like a laxative. It's not going to, you know, rip through your system. Yeah. I've always been taught it like improves almost like the muscle tone of the intestine. So it's more able to do the peristalsis action. So if you have like sluggish intestines or just improves their tone and their more ability to like, move things through, but not in a stimulant way. Still very safe for elders and children and yeah. Yeah. Very not much dependent so. forming. Yeah. Increasing bile. Well, as we move into winter, um, what do you are what are you looking forward to harvesting this winter? Do you do any wild crafting in the winter? Some people might think, oh well herbalists can't do anything in the winter because <laughs> everything's snowy. <laughs> very true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So, uh, and I live in a very wintry place. So winter really takes over in Northwest Montana, but there are lots of conifer trees and the conifers are, you know, they don't lose their needles. So the needles are around year round. So I, I feel like conifers are a nice wintertime harvest. And it is really endless what you can do with them. I like to make conifer infused oil, infused body oil. And I also infuse conifers in olive oil for soap making. I like to infuse things in all avocado oil for body oil and olive oil for soap and salve making. Mm -hmm. So I have those going, plus the conifers also make an incredible cleaning vinegar. You can infuse them in plain old white vinegar for two, four, six weeks. I mean, it can sit on the shelf for a year even, not a big deal. 
and then just strain and put in a spray bottle with a little bit of water and just you can mop your floors with it. You can scrub your counters. I do counters, stove, top, around mm -hmm. the sink, all that bathroom. It's like the original pine saw. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then um, I, the conifers too, I don't know, the trees really speak to me. I am very much a tree people. I, I really connect well in the forest, in the conifer forest, all the tree resins, you know, when you're out there, it just smells so nice and it's so calming to the nervous system. So that's why I like the body oil because body oiling is very calming to the nervous system. It's very nice to take a hot bath body oil, head to toe, and then put on some crummy pajamas, pajamas that are on their way out because oil does stain. And then you just, I don't know, it just really drops you down. I like to think of it as wrapping yourself in the plants mm, and then crawling into bed. It's just so nourishing for yourself, your yeah. skin. And then to this time of year, Everything is so dry, 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 dry. My hands, I live in a very dry climate. I have only wood heat. So I, my skin needs extra moisture at this time of year. And the conifers can be harvested year round. Like I said, you can just go out and clip your conifer of choice. Being in Northwest Montana, my favorite conifer is alpine fir. I find it to be extremely aromatic. And i that's my number one go-to. I am not a big fan of spruce or juniper. Mm. But, and maybe that's just the varieties that I have here. So I feel... I would encourage anyone to just experiment again with right. their conifer of choice. Yeah. I love, I love cedar infused body oil. That is like, it's like so sweet. And actually mm -hmm. we have here, I don't know what you have there, but we have Thuja, which we call cedar, even though I guess it's not like true cedar. Um, it's Arborvitae which I just kind of did a little research on recently because it was confusing to me, but it just smells so sweet and, and just lovely. And it just feels so magical. And I love how you describe like wrapping yourself up in the plants before getting into bed. And yeah, winters, I also just heat primarily with wood. And, you know, by the end of winter, I have all kinds of weird red dry patches on, on my skin. So that's like really helpful. That's great. So do you um, do infused vinegars? I love this idea. And I've seen people you know, talk about taking their Christmas tree tips and putting that in an infused vinegar for cleaning or whatnot. And that's probably in white vinegar, I assume. Maybe yes. still white vinegar for cleaning. But then do you do other types of herbal infused vinegars that would be more for ingesting? Yeah, I, I love to infuse things in vinegar, both the white vinegar for cleaning. And that also is endless. You can add citrus peel, 
And um, it's also a really good kid craft, Mm. too. You can go out, you can pick some sort of conifer, you know, conifer of choice or whatever. I just made one the other day with pine needles. So you can use any sort of needle and we put some citrus in there. You can put dried lavender. You can, it's really endless. Yeah. Let's see. I think we did lavender, grapefruit peel, pine. Mm, That sounds nice. (laughs) Yeah. And just pick little things along the way. You can throw some rose hips in there or whatever Mm -hmm. for the And like I said, yes, the white vinegar for the cleaning vinegar. And then for consuming, I like to use apple cider vinegar because it's just works really good. It's available. It's affordable. And I like to mix it in drinks for like herbal drinking vinegar or across the board, anything, bone broth. It's nice to put a little vinegar in your bone broth. So put a little bit in there or salad dressing or like a meat marinade, all of, all of those. And it's a great way to preserve the harvests. Mm. I love goldenrod vinegar Mm. and I feel like it has a really nice flavor and it's nice to tap into that in January, you know, after it, you know, the fall is over, you're like, oh, yes, here's a little bit of fall I can consume. Mm. And yeah, so there's, there's that, my latest vinegar. Oh, I did an organ grape vinegar. Oh, with the fruit itself? Yes, it was so, so delicious. So Mm. bitter. But I like bitter. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm into bitter. So that that was really tasty, and a nice way to well, we talked about the syrup making and the infused vinegar is in your drink. You can put a little bit of infused vinegar and then a little bit of syrup and then sparkling water or mm. just plain water if you're not into the sparkle. It doesn't have to be sparkling. Uh, that makes a really good beverage I made um like what let's see uh chickweed infused vinegar is really nice and it gets really bright green so it's really that's really tasty and um the syrup I made to go with that was like a hibiscus cranberry blueberry that went good with the chickweed vinegar very tasty So that's what I've been infusing. Oh, the latest one. Well, now that it's winter, so things are starting to come about in the grocery stores, like the cranberries are out and the blood oranges and the grapefruits Mm. and ginger. So my latest one was a shrub, actually, which is fruity in base, I feel like. So I just mash up the fruit. This one was cranberry. So I mashed a bunch of cranberries in the bottom of the jar, added a little bit of sugar to it, mashed it up a little bit more, and then put a breathable top on and just left it on the counter overnight. 
And then the next day I mashed it up some more. So it's kind of in the infancy of fermentation. So I mash that up a little bit more and leave it on the counter again for another day. And of course, this isn't exact. However, this works into your life is how you should do it. There are no rules, really, except for if you leave it too long, it's going to rot. <laughs> but um I then I added so after two days on the counter and it was kind of starting to mash up with that little bit of sugar. Now, I didn't use a whole lot of sugar, just a tablespoon or so to kind of get it going. <clears throat> then I added a grated ginger and the whole thing is going to be strained. So I didn't peel the ginger. Um, I just grated up a bunch of ginger and added grapefruit I didn't, I, and I juiced a grapefruit and I chopped up the inside of the grapefruit. I would have put it in peel and all except for these were not organic grapefruits. So I didn't put the peel in, but I put all that in there. And so then that's, you know, the bulk of the jar. And then I topped with some honey and apple cider vinegar let that infuse for, you know, however long typically is typical is around four weeks. But again, there aren't really any rules with that. You should just weave it into your life. You know, if you don't have anything to drink and it looks good and then strain it early, <laughs> you know? Yum. That sounds so good. Cranberry, ginger, grapefruit, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of vinegar. Mm. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, how fun. I mean, the options are definitely endless, especially when you're into and up for the experimentation, just like cooking. You know, I always like to think of making herbal remedies as being very similar to cooking, you know, or, you know, jazz cooking where you can just kind of experiment with flavors and what looks looks good and sounds good. I also really appreciate doing simples where it's just one herb at a time, too, in a remedy. So I can really connect and understand and relate with that herb. Um, is there an herb in Alaska that maybe you've really come to relate to as like a one herb, like something that's a little maybe different than your average than your average bear? Although there's probably lots yes. of bears in Alaska too. <laughs> yes, there. Yes, there are. <laughs> and Montana too. Oh yeah. Like everywhere. Yeah. Don't go anywhere without your bear spray. <laughs> And yeah, so Alaska is very, oh, very unique. Again, I feel so privileged to have grown up there and then be able to have a place there as well. So our cabin is very rural. It's on a separate island from the island I grew up on, but it's only about 10 miles away from my mom's house. But there is no service there. So you're just really completely on your own. And that was really nice to, I connected with a few new plants. Now they have, there's an Alaska plantain that's different from our broadleaf plant. Well, they have broadleaf plantain, of course, because that's everywhere. They have that as well. <laughs> but um, I worked with the Alaska plantain, which was something new. Uh, lots of yarrow, tons of yarrow it grows. And maybe it grows like this in Maine, but it grows all along the coastline, right 
wet the water's edge mm. at high t- so like at high tide mark is tons and tons of yarrow i have found that in some places and and in uh, you know there's lots of i'm on a bridged island but then there's lots of little tiny islands in this whole archipelago it's there's like 60 islands in this one archipelago and i love kayaking out to them and exploring them and there's lots of yarrow that grows yeah like right on that edge and i found it to be very like succulent and salty compared to like a field yarrow like it's almost it could be a different definitely a different subspecies almost or a different variety just based on its ecosystem that i've noticed and not yeah, as strong it- as like a poultice herb i tried it once as a poultice herb because that's all i could find and it wasn't as intense, at least the one that was super succulent. At least the leaves weren't. But yeah, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I um well, and it's there just sucking up the salt water. Yes, yeah. Definitely. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the salty I, dog of the yarrow family. <laughs> <laughs> salty dog yarrow for sure. <laughs> But yeah, I always thought that was so beautiful, just the weaving of the yarrow right along the Mm. high tide mark there. So I did make a tincture because I love to brush my teeth with yarrow tincture. Mm. I don't know if you've ever tried that or not, but it is, it works really good. It's astringent, tighten and tone tissue. I just feel like it's super cleansing and it just, it works well. I like it for brushing my teeth. So I made some yarrow tincture up there and then devil's club. Oplopanics is very prolific in Southeast Alaska. And that is also an herb that a lot of people don't have access to. So I, it's all over our property. So I tend to go for removing it from areas that we want it to be removed from. Devil's Club is, I love the infused oil. It's very earthy. What part of the plant are you working with? I remember when I lived in Washington for a short stint, Washington State, from what I recalled, I remember Devil's Club. It was like you did not want to come across it if you're bushwhacking, and that's all that there was. I actually think I watched like a Alaska Wilderness show where it was like these people were like forced to like <laughs> what you know bushwhack through Devil's Club, and it was just this horrendous thing because it's basically <laughs> just covered in spikes, right? The whole stem is just all these like really little spiky thistles, thistly thorns, yes. like raspberry times a hundred, kind of. Yes. Well, and they're really thin too. So if you grab onto it, they will get in your skin, but they're not like a regular splinter that you can dig out with a needle. You Mm -hmm. know, they, you can't really dig them out very well. So I work with, I wear gloves and you do harvest the root. So I usually clip off the top part that I'm not going to be using. And then I use a butter knife to kind of shred off some of those, Mm -hmm. um, the 
little pokey things that thorns, I guess, or whatever they are, the thorns. Yeah. Scrape those off. And then I'm able to get a hold of it mm. and work with it with a hand and I'm still wearing gloves and you still get them mm-hmm. even regardless. And same. And then I just do your typical root dig, dig it up. So and that's so what, what I do. And properties then, or what, what I've never, like, what do people work with devil's club? For what it's does it offer? Helpful for pain. So it's similar to Arnica. So in Montana, I work with Arnica portfolia grows very prolifically in my bioregion. So I make remedies with that. And I it's similar to Arnica in the fact that it's helpful for pain, pain due to overexertion, pain due to arthritis, bruising, and injury. It's very helpful there. And it also is helpful for skin issues, dryness, cuts, scrapes, burns, eczema. I do a, I create a salve and a body oil with the devil's club. Mm-hmm. Does and it have a scent or aroma? Is it aromatic? It does. It does. Some people say it smells like celery. Hmm. Which is a little interesting and I can kind of pick up a little celery in there, but it is more like a, I don't know. It's more earthy, damp forest floor smelling to me, like the, the sweet rot, the Mm. sweet decay, which there's a lot of in Southeast Alaska because of all of because it being a rainforest, the breakdown, not a rotten breakdown, but like the sweet decay breakdown is Mm -hmm. kind of smells a little bit like that to me. um, Yeah. I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy working with it. And I feel like it helps a lot of people with, pain and you can also take the tincture for pain as well and there's a lot of re, um, research coming out about devil's club and insulin resistance so helpful for sugar craving or mm-hmm. internally and you can and people make tea out of it I don't make tea out of it just because usually whatever I harvest goes into remedies for other folks because it's not, I don't even know if you could even buy devil's club as like part like a dried of herbal. herb kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know <clears throat> if you can or not, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you could find it somewhere on Etsy, I bet. Mm -hmm. interesting so as as a wild crafter do you have um, any sustainability tips that you can share with how you help to you know maintain healthy populations or things that you think about when you go to um, a population of plants when you are wild crafting as far as you know promoting the health of that population and and whatnot Versus, you know, yes. raping it and taking it all. I mean, I'm, I have a sense <laughs> that you are <laughs> more sustainably minded than like maybe some corporate greed kind of wild crafting that happens. But 
What what are a couple tips that you could offer the listeners when they if they want to start getting into wildcrafting? Definitely. Yes. So let me think on that for a second. I think one of the biggest things for me is well, first of all, there's lots of weeds that can be wildcrafted. I guess I'll start there. Like St. John's wort in our state is classified as a noxious weed. So it is, so there's not really a whole lot of sustainability around that because it is everywhere. So first of all, getting to know the common weeds is really, is a great place to start because they're usually everywhere. And then as you move into the other, like the middle ground herbs and things, I feel like, I guess a big part of sustainability for me is observation. Really not just racing out there and harvesting things right away. It, take your time with the plant because getting to know the plant is like getting to know people. You're not just going to race off with somebody you don't know very well, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe only once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Then you'll figure that out right yeah. away. <laughs> so yeah, take your time, observe it within the seasons. I like to tell folks in observe it observe it for a while get to know it a little bit before you race out and harvest it and then you can see maybe how prolific it is and what its cycles are too because plants are just like people in the sense that they are not on all the time there's years that they're very abundant and years that they are not so in the abundant years, you may make more than you would in a non-abundant year. And also, there's so many other things that play into that. Like if you have a dry spring or a wet spring, there might be lots of violets. might be a huge violet year if it's really damp spring. And then, you know, if it's really dry, like a few years ago, we hardly had any Arnica and I just was out of my Arnica products for like six months because they just weren't there to harvest. And so that's part of the deal as well. You're not always going to get what you want all the time. So that also is part of the part of it. And, but then within that, there are so many unexpected blessings. Like a lot of times I won't put a lot of pressure on the plants. Like I'm going out and I'm going to harvest this and I'm going to get five bags full because it doesn't really work that way. You'll get out there and something else will present itself and be very prolific. And then you're like, Oh wow. Well, here's, well, here's this, you know, and then you, don't end up getting what you went out there to look for. Two, being open to what presents itself in a healthy stand manner, you know, and of course not taking all of it, taking, you know, like a certain portion 
of the plant. Now, Devil's Club is a good one, for instance, because you are harvesting the root. Devil's Club does grow in northwest Montana, but I don't harvest it here because it's not thriving. It's not thriving at all. And so I just let it be. I I wouldn't, if I were out of Devil's Club body oil, I would just be out of it because I want to harvest it where it's prolific and thriving. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And another thing how I would say a good way to give back is just to have a garbage bag with you and just pick up mm. garbage. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I would um, give offering to the plants or in a way, just respect them enough to clean up their area. Because Montana, the area of Montana that I live in used to be, we had um, a major growth spurt around COVID. Mm. So um, with that, there's a lot more people around. So all of a sudden, there's a lot more trash. I don't know what's going on. Maybe these people aren't securing their garbage in the back of their vehicle. I don't know what is going on, but we went from having like no garbage anywhere to all of a sudden it's everywhere. So that's frustrating. So that is a good way to, to give back when you're wild crafting, just bring along trash bag and pick up. That's how I respect and honor the plants. I'm not really a sit with and and ask permission. I'm more of an observe the plant, see how it's doing, and take some garbage on your way out. Nice. Great. Well, um, I have um, one more question. Actually, I have two more questions. Um, <clears throat> one is, you know, as a product developer and a business owner, in the realm of herbalism, what are some of the joys and what are maybe some of the difficulties about having like an herbal product business for you? Maybe two joys and two oh. difficulties or one joy and one difficulty or, you know, whatever you're called to. Good, good, good question. Good questions. I, I think as with any small business, there's lots of gems and lots of unseen difficulties. I feel like I am very much a no rules person. And I like to live my life from that way. Like I don't like to be restricted with, with anything. So being your own business owner in that aspect, that is very nice because all of my time is my time. And I feel like you can't put a price tag on that. And so that's very important to me that um, I get to just have the freedom to work with, with what I want when I want. Now, I mean, of course, there's timelines for peak harvesting and that type of thing. But as far as like the day-to-day -day freedoms, I really enjoy that. I mean, the salve needs to get made, whether that's eight o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock at night. 
I have the freedom to choose around that. So I feel like that is definitely a perk for me. And I am also one of those people who, I mean, there's people who need things to be set out in order for them to accomplish the things. I sort of work in a different way. So being my own entrepreneur, I don't really have pitfalls in not producing, I guess, because I I feel like I work well within that range of utilizing my time. Having children really helps with that, you know, like after you have kids, you're like just the pro of time management, time management. (laughs) Yes. Making the the most of your free time. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that, that has helped there. So that's what I really like also. So the freedom And then some of the harder aspects are, I guess, um, the failures within the unseen failures. Like I work with tallow, for instance. Well, not all tallow is created equal. So you might purchase a lot of tallow, make these products out of it, and then the melt point is off from something else you had. And these things are like melting all over the place. Mm. And then you have to source other tallow, remake these products, replace these products that Mm. melted all over with these customers. So that there's a lot there. And then two, as a soap maker, not so much now, because I've been Like I said, making the craft for over 20 years, I've been making soap. So I don't have many failures there. But in the beginning, oh, my gosh, I lost so many batches of soap, you know, and that's a pound of olive oil. That's a pound of coconut oil. That's half a pound of shea butter. (laughs) So and then not to mention all the wild crafting that went into it. So you just have to be prepared to eat it on a lot of things and just let it go. Just eat it. and The cost of go. doing business, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> and then to also with herbal product selling, I feel like it's really in, because there is no regulation around herbalism. And so I feel like it's really important to have a lot of transparency in what you're creating. If you are purchasing your herbs, where are these herbs coming from? Um, If you are wild crafting them, where are they coming from? How is this process happening? You know, really trying to be open there to how things are made and harvested. Again, sustainability is a big thing. So that that's that's kind of another another business aspect but yeah it's been it's been a nice do you like going to markets and like you know it seems like it's a lot of effort i see that you go to different variety of craft shows and markets and farmers markets perhaps and it just seems like a lot of packing up and unloading and talking to people like do you like that aspect of it or is that um yes and no because I'm I am an introvert by nature so I'm not overly peoply 
but I, of course, I am a human, so I do love to connect yeah. <laughs> as well. So I feel like it, it is a good time to connect. And it's also a good time to, so I am not like a clinical herbalist and I have no formal training of any kind in anything, really. So I feel like it's a good way to connect with people and really talk about the plants. And uh, I feel like that that is helpful to be able to, you know, spend some time with people at the markets. Mm-hmm. And soap, you know, I've been making soap a long time. I live in a very small community. I'm kind of like the town soap maker, you know, and... So I do sell quite a bit of soap in in person there as well. I do like it. It is a lot of work. But, you know, I also waited tables for almost 20 years. And so if you have a rough, because you will have rough days. And I also live in a very rural area. So I might drive 75, 80 miles, set up at a market. It's 102 degrees out. And I'll sell like, worth of stuff. And then I will have lost product due to stuff melting, you know, Mm -hmm. so it can be, it can be a real bummer. But within that, then you'll go to another market in town, you know, and sell hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. And it'll be a 75 degree day. So there's, there's the good and there's the good and the bad. Yeah, the good and the bad for sure. But I do I do enjoy, I do enjoy the markets. And when I'm having one of those horrible days, I always just say, oh my gosh, you could be waiting tables right now, (laughs) (laughs) but you're not. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that too. I've definitely waited some tables. (laughs) Oh, um, so one last question. Um, You know, as we're entering into the, you know, the dark days of winter, do you have you know, a remedy or a recipe, whether it's food or herbal that you really like to make sure you have on hand and that you incorporate into your winter apothecary or kitchen? Oh my goodness. I think my biggest thing, well, I love winter. I absolutely love winter. And I feel like it's just not so much a recipe, but just allow yourself to slow down and be part of winter, I guess, is more rather than a recipe. I feel like allow yourself the slowness, I especially as somebody who works with the plants, yeah. spring and fall are such busy times for me, like I'm harvesting, I'm marketing, and then I make a lot of fresh remedy plants. So if I market and harvest, some of these remedies are being created at 11 o'clock at night, just because they that it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So I really love January and January's slowness and just really allowing myself to be part of that and be part of the hibernation, the downtime. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there for sure. Especially living in like a summer tourist community, you know, I mean, the whole island just like slows down. And like, if we get snow, it's just, you know, everything just kind of shuts down and it just feels ah, peaceful and quiet. You can kind of go into that inner cave, both in my home and in my mind and just regroup after the mania of the summer for sure. And it's also a really good time to dive into learning Mm -hmm. to spend some, some time reading, just kind of taking it in. And I also take a lot of notes Mm -hmm. too. So I like to do that in January, just not have a big, no agenda. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on the pod, Dacia. This has been a really great conversation. And it's been a real pleasure talking with you. I'm so happy to finally meet you after you know following you online and just loving everything that you put out into the world. So thanks so much for sharing your time with me and the listeners today. Ah, you are welcome. It was so nice to connect. I feel the same way about you. And I'm always like, oh, what's she up to? Or gonna <laughs> listen to the listen to the pod today. Yeah. I love to listen to your podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I'm sure you have also gained some lovely insights into the world of herbalism and foraging today. Um, so you can find Dacia at, is it simply Josephine.com or, yep. and yep. you have I'm a, s- Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm simply Josephine across the board. Okay. I'm simply Josephine everywhere. So where can people find you? Your website, Instagram, TikTok, yeah. YouTube. Yep. Facebook? I have all of those. I have mm-hmm. all of those pretty much except Facebook. Okay. Yep. I got, there was just too many medias. Something had right. to go. And that was my <laughs> least favorite. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And you have a blog about your yellow dock syrup, right? A blog I post. Do. So I will put a link to that and your other um, ways that people can connect with you in the show notes. So people can connect with that. And yeah, so you can find Dacia in all those ways. You can find me, Soledago Herb School, in all the usual places as well. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty, today with Dacia Daily. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.